spot on the ball, and uh, he received reports as he would leave these churches, leaving leaders there. He would receive reports on their condition, and uh, uh, he would then offer valuable, further valuable instructions. We're going to look in the book of Titus. Titus uh, was a great leader. Titus was a guy that Paul would send into certain situations that really required somebody of integrity, somebody of high character, somebody who could be a great troubleshooter to work through these situations that he found himself. Titus was that hot spot sender that God would send in through Paul. He would send Titus in to work with those folks. And one of those areas that, that Paul sent Titus was to the island of Crete. And, and he went to those churches after Paul established them. And the reason that it's important to understand what Crete looked like and why he came to troubleshoot what was going on there is Crete was a pretty rough place to start a church. It's an island that was in the Mediterranean Sea. In the first century, it was known for violence and immorality. There was even an expression from the people who lived there, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. If you'll take a look at Titus 1.12, you'll see that description. Think about it. Their reputation was that they were liars. They were evil brutes. They were lazy gluttons. They were looking for that quick score. They were looking for that easy way to riches. They didn't want to work hard. They, wanted, they, didn't, they didn't want it uh, done in the right way. They wanted to do it the easy way. They wanted luck to jump in and, and to make it happen. So Paul writes to Titus so that he will instruct the men in the churches in Crete, the, those that were immersed in that culture, and, and the people in that church were living down to the reputation of the community. It's not uh, that they were infecting the community with the godliness that they needed to. They were being infected by that community and by that culture. And so Paul is sending Titus in to talk to them, to train them, to teach them. But I want you to consider, and it's real easy to look at, at the Cretans and go, wow, well, I'm glad we're not like that. But aren't we like that? Do we find ourselves being a lot like the Cretans? Do we find ourselves being liars? How many times do you tell God you're going to do something, but then you don't follow through? How many times do you volunteer to help and you don't show? How many times have you promised to God, if you will do this, I will do this. He did and you forgot. You suddenly went brain dead at the promise that you had made. Can anyone in this group not say that we are a rebellious generation, a rebellious culture looking for the easy way out. Can any of you say, Quapaw Casino? Can any of you say, Cherokee Casino? Can any of you say, Lotto? Can any of you say, Ah, oh, it's just $2. It's just $2. Millions of dollars are spent $2 at a time in the hopes that you do what? Hit it big. And you know, what do we always say? God, if you will just let me hit that $10 million, I'm going to give to your church. Now I want you to pray that out loud. Because I know where you live. And I'm going to help you fulfill that promise to God. As you hit that $10 million. $10 million should just be 10%. God's not asking for more. Just 10% of $10 million should be what? 
One million dollars. Well, we could buy a new church van. A million dollars? Wow. You buy you a new preacher for a million dollars. Wow. Glory to God. Wow. But see, we're the same. We're looking for that quick fix. We're looking for that easy way to go. That's why, that's how it was sold to us that let's go to gambling in our community, in our culture, in our state, and it's going to increase revenue for what? Education. Let's put it on the backs of our kids. How much money goes to education? Surely not enough. Well, the windfall isn't quite as big as we thought it would be. Well, that's just tremendous insight on their part. <laughs> so are we much different than the Cretans? Titus 2, 1 through 8. That's where I want us to focus if you turn there. Titus 2, 1 through 8. I want you to hold on to that section because we're going to talk a little bit about these verses. Titus 2, 1 through 8. I want to pick it up at, in verse 1. Is promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have strong faith and be filled with love and patience. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely in all they do. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good deeds of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Let your teaching be so correct that it can't be criticized. Then those who want to argue will be ashamed because they won't have anything bad to say about you. That's from the New Living Translation. I often preach from the New American Standard, but I'm finding more and more the enjoyment of reading how it's worded in the New Living Translation. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of that if you don't have it. It's a wonderful, wonderful translation. But what does God expect of me as a man? Let me give you four things. Number one, He expects our faith to shape how we behave. He says in verse 1, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. You ever had your kids, parents, you ever had your kids do something really, really silly? Really, really out of the, out of the norm. And you say to yourself, I didn't raise you to behave that way. Any of you ever caught yourself saying that? I did not raise my kid to act that way. I did not raise my kid to do that. Because, see, you didn't raise them to do that way. But the problem is the society tempted them to do that way. So what do, we, what do they say? They're justified in their behavior because Freddie said, I needed to go do this, and Freddie has a lot of power over me. Much more so than my dad does. Why? Because I don't, I don't respect my dad. If I respected my dad, then I wouldn't go do that. That's simple, isn't it? If I respected my mother and dad, I wouldn't go do this because I love them so much, I don't want to hurt them. But then when we do hurt them and they still forgive us, what do we do? Oh, well, they're not going to punish me, so I'll just go do it some more. So we keep doing it some more. That's the way we are with God. You see, because we're told that if we sin and we come and confess our sin, God's going to forgive us. So we don't need to change any behavior because God's going to always forgive us, right? And He doesn't ever remember it. It's from the east, from the west, north, from the south. It's gone. He doesn't remember it. So whoop, I'll just keep sinning and He'll keep on forgiving me. Any of you read Romans 6, chapter, verse 1? Paul is addressing the same issue when he says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? What's the next verse say? May it never be. In other words... Quit acting that way. Grow up. 
Mature yourself and start being an adult. Be mature. Carry on the way you would want to carry on to do the right things. Amen? Can I get an amen? You ladies give me an amen. The men are sitting there, he's mad, I'm mad at him already. <laughs> you know? That's okay because next week you'll be like, I'm mad at him already, so that's okay. But he expects our faith to shape the way we behave. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's like the new mother who one night found her husband standing over the newborn baby's crib. Silently she watched him and as he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw in his face a mixture of emotions and disbelief and doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment and skepticism. Touched, touched this wife was by his unusual display of these deep emotions. She felt her eyes grow moist. She slipped her arms around her husband. A penny for your thoughts. It's amazing, he replied. I just can't see how anybody can make a crib like that for only $49.95. Bible clearly teaches in Romans 12 and verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. The key to having the right thoughts is to reflect on what is, what is, is here in this verse called right teaching. In Titus, in our first verse, right teaching. Those teachings don't include the statements we heard at the first of this message, but what's interesting is that there is some truth in many of those statements. Let me give you an example. There's nothing wrong with being a self-made man as long as you remember that the ability and talents that you have uh, that you have and are given uh, that you have been given are given to you by God. Professional athletes have a tremendous platform with which to share their faith. Athletes in general do. Because everybody looks at them, everybody wants to see them, everybody wants to be around them, everybody wants to touch them. And when they give glory to God, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I appreciate our coaches that we have in our church, don't you? I appreciate they, they, have, they are unashamed of their faith. I appreciate our head coach, our football coach. He is unashamed of his faith. In fact, I had a, a retired preacher stop me the other night before the game started in Muskogee. He said, hey, you're the chaplain of the team, aren't you? I went, oh, my God, don't say that out loud. But he was so, he was so taken by the fact that a preacher could hang around a public school football team and be as involved with that team as God has allowed me to be. But it's because of coaches like we have and the head coach that we have. Now, are they perfect? <laughs> I, I've been with them. I've been with them. They're men and women, and they have feet of clay. They don't always say the things the way they'd like to. They don't always behave the way they would love to. They don't always put their arm around that child and say, you know, let me just share with you some reasoning behind why you might behave the way you do. No, they grab them and they lift their voice and they say, what were you thinking? While their veins pop out of their neck, much like a parent does with a child. 
When your child drives the car into another car and you get the call that they had a wreck, you know, first of all, you find out they're okay, and then what do you do? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what were you thinking? Right? Yeah, we do that. It's much like what God does. You've got to get your mind right. You've got to get your thought process right. Nothing wrong with making the most out of life. You know that one phrase, grab all the gusto you can. What was that, Schlitz malt liquor? I don't remember what beer commercial that was, but you only go around once in life, grab all the gusto you can. There's nothing wrong with that idea of living life to the fullest. But I have a problem with the ideas behind the commercial. Because if you're grabbing gusto by getting drunk or you're ignoring your family or blowing your paycheck on frivolous things, then there's a problem. If you're going to the casino to get, I'm going to make it, man. I'm going to hit it. Here we go. Yeah. Uh-huh. I won, I won $700. I spent 2000 but I won 700 Yes, that's the only problem. They're not in the business to give you money. They're not. Just look down the street. Go down Riverside and look at that massive casino building they're building because the little one they got isn't big enough. They're going to get it bigger and more fancy and flashier lights. And Why? So that you can fill up that parking lot some more. But preacher, if we win, we're going to give to God. Great! I'd rather you give what you got now instead of trying to find a big bucket to give. Give what you got now. Give a little bit of money. Give a little bit of time. Give a little bit of talent. Give a little bit of... You see what I'm saying? Why don't we impact one person for Jesus? Why don't we do that? Consider doing that. Men of faith, listen. God has different expectations for us. Secondly, He expects us to control ourselves. It's interesting to me that Paul, in this particular verse in Titus, talks to older men first. Did you notice that? He talks to older men first, then to younger men, and he basically says the same thing to both. But he has more instruction for the older guys than even the younger guys. Many think the division would be made somewhere around the age uh, uh, when a man has raised his children, uh, they're already out of the house, men age 50 or 60. Whoop! (laughs) That just hit me like a brick. That'd be me. Oh, but I I have some great news. Because I understand there's some real advantages to being in that age group. First of all, your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. Your joints are more accurate in predicting the weather than the weather channel itself. Your investment in health insurance is finally beginning to pay off. There is nothing left to learn the hard way. Things you buy now will never have a chance to wear out. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. You have a party and the neighbors won't even realize it. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. You quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room. And this one is my favorite. You sing along with the elevator music. instructions to both groups of men are very similar. In verse 2 he says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have strong faith and be filled with love and patience. Down in verse 6 he says, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely in all they do. It's our job, men, to control ourselves, to live lives worthy of respect. That doesn't mean you have to be boring. 
But you aren't to take advantage of that freedom that we find in Christ either. We live in a, if it feels good, do it society. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth in John 8, 34 and 36. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when Jesus sets you free, don't wallow back into the muck. Don't go back into the mire. Stay away from sin. Freedom is really an awesome thing. Being set free is invigorating. Every time I go to the jail and visit inmates, and I, I have a chaplaincy level now so I can go in right off of the cell block into a room like where the lawyers will meet with them and so forth. But let me tell you, there's something a little disconcerting. When you get to the door, you push a buzzer, and you hear him unlock the door. You open the door. You step into a little, a little room by yourself, and that door slams behind you. Pow! And I went over and tried to, you know, I thought, well, it, it, it'll open. And I'm just standing there. You push another button, then they open that door, and you go into the room where you're going to meet with the prison. And that door slams behind you. And I mean, it's slammed. Bow! And you realize, I ain't going anywhere. And then they bring the prisoner in. The first thing they do is handcuff them to the wall. They bring the prisoner in. They set him out at the table so you can talk one-on-one -on -one across the table, but they handcuff him to the wall. Well, we take freedom for granted. Americans are addicted. Let me give you a few statistics <clears throat> about gambling. About 5.5 million Americans are compulsive gamblers with another 15 million at risk of becoming problem or pathological gamblers according to the National Coalition Against Legalized Gambling. Pornography. The Nielsen and Net ratings showed that there were 27.5 million U.S. visitors to porn websites in January 2002. We have a problem with drugs. We have a problem with credit cards. We have a problem with the entertainment industry, period. You want to go to a professional sporting event? You better pull out three, about 300 bucks. They get your family in and get you a $50 hot dog with nothing on it. And we're not talking a long hot dog. We're talking a little bitty guy like this that's been in the water boiling for four days. Has that slime stuff all over it, you know. But that boy, you're going to pay the money for it. You want something to drink? $25, bring it on down. I mean, they get, and you can't, you can't bring your own. Heavens no, they throw it away at the gate, right? I wanted to buy a hat for a friend when I was at Dallas Cowboy game. I thought I'd buy my friend a hat. How much is that hat? He said, twenty-six ninety-five. I said, not for me. <laughs> $26.95 for a flimsy hat. Hmm. Christian men were called to exercise self-control. Once again, that begins with the mind. I reject the idea that people can't control themselves. The, the truth of the matter is that we can. We simply have to choose to. I've had several people. I've even had my specialist say, Preacher, you need to have that, 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 that stomach surgery. Because you've got to lose weight. So I sit down and I began to contemplate it. And I began to look. It's not going to be covered by my insurance. So then I began to look at the cost of it. $40,000. Now some people are buying cars like that. So I thought, well, get a $40,000 car. I'll just get me a $40,000 new stomach. Sounds good. But you see, it doesn't do me any good to have the stomach surgery if I don't do what? Change right there. Right there. If, if I don't change the word buffet to buffet, it doesn't do me any good, does it? 
See, the Bible says that Paul buffets his body daily to stay in the race. Boy, and I hip up with Scripture. <laughs> you see. But if I don't make the change here, then that really won't matter what changes in here. So you keep praying for me. Many of you do that that's going to change. As I take my blood sugar, <laughs> it's, going to, it's, it's got to change. It's funny how God says, well, okay, pay me now or you can pay me later. You've got to pay a price. Amen? We all do. But you've got to be under control. And I may not have it in my, some of my areas. I do in others, but I may not in some. I'm struggling like you are. I've got the same struggles, just my blank's different than your blank. But we're all in the boat together. We're all in the fight together. Amen? And as we encourage each other, good things can happen. That's what's important. Some, some believe that they don't have the strength. But Philippians 4.13 says, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. You talk to a recovering addict and they will tell you that their addiction enslaved them. A slave is a person who is told where to go and what to do and that's what our addictions do to us. They decide. They decide. Number three, he expects us to lead by example. He says in our Titus passage, Be an example to them by doing good deeds of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. A pastor was in a mall food court area and overheard a conversation at a, near a Chick-fil-A area by a, a mom and a daughter. The girl was about 10 years old. The mother had asked the daughter to go to the counter and refill her drink. When the mother meticulously gave her instructions, she said, when you get to the counter, be sure and say, please and thank you. She repeated the instruction over and over, had the girl repeat it over and over. The little girl finally goes to the counter, and about 30 feet away, she yells at the top of her lungs, Mom, was it Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper? Of which the mother, in return, Diet Dr. Pepper! <laughs> Isn't yelling at the top of your lungs in public also something that we ought to teach our kids not to do? Glad that she was going to tell her to be thank you and please, but don't yell at the top of your lungs either. We're to lead by example because right actions are as much caught as taught. Right actions are as much caught as taught. Charles Barkley, a few years ago, Nike Shoes had an ad campaign that, that featured him. He's very outspoken. Barkley looked into the camera and he said, I am not a role model. <laughs> Boy, that's true. He's not a role model. And I don't want him to be a role model, not for my kids. But that doesn't apply to you and to me. Not as Christians. We are role models. Men, if you're married, take responsibility for your wife and your kids. If you've been blessed with them. If you're a single man, take responsibility for where you go, what you look at, and what you do. Men, we are responsible for how we handle our anger, where we spend our money, the words we use around women. Ephesians 5 says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, they are not for you. Men, you are a role model. Act like it. Number four, he expects us to be authentic. Let your teaching be so correct that it can't be criticized, we're told in our Titus passage. And those who want to argue will be ashamed because they won't have anything bad to say about us. 
our society thinks that the things we've been talking about here today are old, they're archaic, and they're, they're of a yesteryear. But they're really not. There are a few things that God expects of us as men, and we are responsible to live those out. I always like to watch reports of hurricanes when they're blowing in, uh, not because the hurricane is what I like to watch, but the reporters who were trying to report the hurricane information standing in the middle of the hurricane. It, it, hey, this bell, we're right down here, and it's coming right on. I think the high storm's in passes. I mean, I mean his, I mean, his legs are flying out this way. You know, there's debris flying by him. Cars are being blown down the street, and he's holding on to a, to a post going, I'm telling you right now, it's an intense storm. Really? Really? Yeah, Bob, I think I'm going to need to get out of the storm. Well, okay, hey, yeah, why don't you go ahead? I didn't quite get that. No, you can't get it. you got a 100-mile-an-hour wind blowing you. It's going to knock you out. Wouldn't it be great if they're doing it? Hey, what do I tell you? And something hits you. Pow. I just think that would be funny. <laughs> well, we've lost contact with Bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's in Georgia now, so just relax. Man, I, I just don't get it. But there's people that are just like that. They know what they're supposed to do. They know how they're supposed to behave. And what do they do? Lean into the wind. They lean into the wind. Because they're working on their own power. It's amazing. It's amazing. We've got to understand that God wants you and me to be what He's called us to be. He wants you and me, men, to be the leaders in the home, the leaders of our children, the leaders at our work. He wants us to lead by example. What we say is what we do. Remember there was a time when a man's word was his bond. If you say it, follow through and do it. Don't volunteer unless you're going to do it. Volunteer unless you're going to do it. Step up to the plate. Be who you need to be. Women are waiting for you men to step up to the plate and to be who you need to be. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. They don't want you to lord it over them. They want you to come alongside them. They want you to lead their life. They want you to develop their life. They want you to be the spiritual leader to them that they so desperately want to have. Men, don't make the women come to church. Men, don't make the women be involved at church. You get involved at church. You get alongside them and work as the team at church. That's when you're seeing great things happen. That's when you see great things happen. I've told Geneva many times, and I told Dudley this too, as the worship team comes to help me close. The thing I admire about them more than, more than most people is that they have uh, an ability to, to, to be loved and to, to, to love other people. And they, would come, they come into a church setting, in our church setting, for instance, and so quickly people embrace them. Why is that? It's because it's not about them. It's about Jesus. In them. I would challenge you. I would challenge you men in this room today. Can you make it about Jesus in you? Jesus in you. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what I miss about Dudley. He always had a smile. He always had a kind word. And he always was willing to serve. He couldn't wait to serve. He said, Pastor, Pastor, what you need me to do up there? I can't talk, KJ, so I need to quit trying. But he said, Pastor, what do you need me to do up there? Isn't that, isn't that 
really the essence of what we need to be about? Is, Pastor, what do we need to do? Pastor, what do we need to do? There's so much that needs to be done. So many people that need to be contacted. Look around you. Fern Yarger isn't here. She hasn't been here in weeks because of her illness. So somebody, somebody call her this week. Jim Ralston, I mentioned him last week. If you don't have his number, call me. I'll get it for you. Give, give him a call. Steve and Shelly are here. Give them a call. So look around you. Start looking around you every week and seeing who's not here. Give them a call. Let them know they're, let them know they're encouraged. Let them know they're missed. Because that's what's important. That's what's important. So I've kind of helter-skelter shot some things at you. But, but men, God expects of us to be certain ways and to act certain ways and to carry on in certain ways. Would you take that challenge? Would you accept that challenge? If you're here today and need to, need to accept that challenge or any challenge, why don't you do it? We stand, we sing together our hymn of invitation. Henry Blackaby. And I'm Richard Blackaby. 
And he's my oldest son. And he's my oldest father. <laughs> We're glad that each of you could be a part of this study of experiencing God. Could I say to you, without a question, it is impossible when God encounters you for you to stay where you are and go with God at the same time. You're going to have to leave something. There's going to have to be some major adjustments. And many don't go with him because they don't want to get out of the comfort zone of where they are. God is at work all around where you are, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He is at work. And what we need to pray is, oh, God, would you open my eyes to see what you're doing? And when I see, God, help me to have the courage to join you and to be a part of the great work that you're doing. Experiencing God is simply a tool. The one who will change you is God himself. Do you sense that you have any need of some help into that life-transforming encounter with God? Experiencing God is a tool. Experiencing God doesn't change you. The God that you come to know because we've helped you to know how to know him, now he will change you. Ladies and gentlemen, starting next Sunday morning, 9.30, isn't that what time we start Sunday school? 9.30, over there, we're going to have the first session of experiencing God. The cool thing is that you don't have to come with anything except your bod. Just show up, and if we have more people, if too many, we'll come in here first, whatever it is. But I am here to tell you, that how many of you have been through this study before in the, in the past, at some point in the past? then you have something coming towards you that you've never seen before. And I'm not talking about some entertainment. I'm talking about a study that will bring you in touch with what God's doing right here at this place, in this city, in this town, and possibly how you can join him. Powerful, powerful study. But the cool thing is that next week, you don't have to come prepared for anything. It's going to be, we're going to have one introductory session where we lay it out. Lay out for you. We'll have a few things we're going to talk about. And we're going to let you know what you need to be able to do to commit to 12 weeks of, of studying to learn what, about what God's doing. Now, we talked about men today. And, and uh, I would have to say, ladies, listen to your men. Because what they're going to do is say, wife, children, we're going to make it happen. We're going to commit to this and we're going to do this. And we're going to see what God might be doing. I can tell you, if God's at work in this church, we're going to know whether or not he is before, by the time we're done. So if you truly, and it's a beautiful crowd we have today, I can tell that you're in tune with God. If, in, if indeed he is moving in this place, then let's be a part of this. We're gonna, we've done it specifically. for It's going to be Sunday mornings and then Sunday evenings as well. It's a two-hour session each week. First week won't be that way. But uh, following that, then a, but not next week. Next week we have the introductory. Then we skip a week to get everybody prepared. The following week we begin. And we'll do a one hour at Sunday school time, one hour Sunday evening, and we'll split it up in such a way that it's more convenient for our busy schedules. How many of you think that you would be able to, if you chose to, would be able to commit to something like this? I think so. Now, if you raise your hand, you see I'm going to see you, and you think I'm going to come calling on you or something. But the, the whole point is what this body of believers needs is to know if, if indeed God is here. And by the time we are done with this study, Things will change. 
inside my heart only because that's what I'm concerned about. So if you're willing, be here at 9.30 next Sunday morning. Make it a point right now to be here at 9.30 for no other reason than, you, you know what, I want to hear what it's about. I want to hear what it's about. I'll go, to one, I'll go to this first session, and then I can go back to my old self if I choose to, or I can step in, pay the, pay the money that's necessary to buy the book to have, and if you can't do that, don't let that be an issue. If you, need, if you don't have a book, we will get one for you. So if you don't have money to buy the book, and I think we're talking less than 20 bucks to get involved in this, not a problem. But this is something that can change you for eternity. And how that affects the church here today, uh, that's only, we're just going to see what God's doing. To take the veil off of our eyes and see what God's at work doing. And Lord, let's join you in what you're doing. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. And I know the preacher's going to be involved with that. I know there's probably five or six or seven that are pretty excited already. uh, But I'm telling you, come at 930 and it's not too early. Uh, We will make sure whatever it takes to have children taken care of, we will set that up. Please don't let that be an issue. Uh, we will we will take care of those issues. So uh, we will plan ahead. If some of you that are going to be in the class uh, have have a burden for that as well, we need to understand that we do need to take care of the babies so that those that have kids can be a part of it. We will make it happen. If you have any questions, you can get with me. You can get with Harold, and we'll talk about it. But come next week, 9:30, to get involved in something that uh, none of you have experienced, and that's exciting to think about that. Oh, I was just going to say, I've been through it twice, and it is, I'm excited about it coming again, because every time I've been through it, I've found something different. It's, it spoke to me in a different way, so if you can make it, it's a wonderful, wonderful. You know, for weeks, I've put up there the baseball diamond, and I showed you how we're going to take you through the baseball diamond, and uh, we, then we've had a staff change, and so I haven't been able to launch that class like I hoped, but I think that was God's timing, because this is a tremendous material. I talked this morning about going deeper. You need to go deeper. Henry Blackaby said it well. He said, if you have encountered God in your life, then you've got to change. You can't sit the same. Because if you stay the same, you die. So here it is. Here's an opportunity for you to dig deeper, to go deeper. And you might say, 9.30 on Sunday, boy, that's early. You're up at 5 going to work every day. Come on. Come on. Some of us are meeting down at Hugo's at 7.30 for breakfast, so come join us. Wouldn't it be great? We'll just, we'll just take Hugo's over every Sunday morning. That'd be great. Come on. We'll have a great time. We used to have about 10 15 of us meet down there on Sunday morning. Men, we had a great time. So anyway, that's there for you. This is for ladies, for men, for teenagers. It's really but uh, for, for just about anybody. But we sure want you to come be a part of that. Don't be complacent. Come grow. Come be what you need to be for God. All right? Let's stand. Uh, I'm going to ask Rodney Klein, if you would, to close us in prayer. Following his prayer, Dan, lead us in our closing song. And uh, if you see somebody around you you don't know this morning, be sure to introduce yourself before you get away and they get away. And let them know that they're loved and we appreciate everyone being here this morning. Tonight, 6 o'clock, Bible study. Uh, If you can get away and come over to Revival over at Osage Hills, we'd love to have you there as well. But uh, come tonight. There will be a Bible study here. And teenagers will be meeting here also. So, uh, uh, Brother Rodney and then uh, Dan lead us in our course.
some bright morning when this life is over. Oh, 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 oh,